From the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to Washington Watch. Coming up. The Democratic majority has begun to realize that the way forward on basic governing duties matches the roadmap that Republicans have been laying out for months. That was Republican leader Mitch McConnell on the Senate floor earlier today talking about the financial standoff that we see in Washington taking place even now. In the debate over dollars and how much we spend, uh, since common sense, that is, appears to be the divide. We'll get the latest from Texas Congressman Kevin Brady, the ranking member on the House Ways and Means Committee. Also, West Virginia Senator Joe Manchin drawing a line for life, saying that if the Democrats massive reconciliation bill does not include hide restrictions on abortion. It's, quote, dead on arrival. We'll talk about it. And Joe Rosenberg joins me in studio to talk about his new book, Enemies and Allies, and our trips into the inner sanctums of Middle East leaders, which the book chronicles in part. Is Israel entering a new era of cooperation with Muslim nations in the Middle East? Is the Middle East unifying because of a common threat? You won't want to miss that conversation later with Joel Rosenberg. On September 9th, President Biden announced a sweeping mandate that would not only require federal employees to be vaccinated, but also businesses that employ more than 100 people. The mechanism the president is using to target some 80 million private sector employees is the Occupational Safety and Health Administration, or OSHA. The details of how this is going to be implemented is yet to be seen as the Emergency Temporary Standard, or in the lingo of D.C., the ETS guidance, is yet to be issued. Even so, just the proposal has many questioning the constitutionality of the mandate. Is there court precedent to suggest that the vaccine mandate is beyond the president's authority? We'll talk about it with attorney John Yu later in the program. The website, TonyPerkins.com. I'm going to skip all the announcements and uh, come back to them because I've got a lot of things I want to talk to you about that's, that are coming up. But I want to jump right into my uh, first guest because things are happening very rapidly here in Washington, D.C. Dollars and cents. There is a lot of discussion about dollars, but missing is the cents. Here to provide a little of it is Texas Congressman Kevin Brady, who is the ranking member on the House Ways and Means Committee. He represents the 8th Congressional District of the Lone Star State. Kevin, welcome back to the program. Good afternoon, Tony. Thanks for having me. All right. A lot happening here in Washington, D.C. We've got the short-term issue of funding government, keeping the lights on, so to speak. And then there's the debt ceiling issue. And the Democrats have conflated the two. And as we heard earlier from Mitch McConnell, the Republican leader, he's been warning that's not going to work. Tony, this is uh, this is an economic crisis of the Democrats' own making. They've known for two years the debt ceiling uh, date uh, is uh, is approaching. Uh, they've never even passed the budget, never had a conversation about it. And to me, this is just they're trying to blame Republicans. But in truth, this isn't about past spending. The, the current debt ceiling, uh, frankly, accommodates uh, all the spending up until this summer. What this is about is future spending. As you know, the Democrats in the House Senate and the vice president proposing you know, the numbers are so huge and keep growing. We know it's well over $5 trillion at this point. These are crippling tax increases, the greatest expansion of the welfare state, uh, war on, on work, on life, 
on American jobs, uh, on Americans who want to work without joining a union. Uh, it is all of that. So the, the debt ceiling is just a green light uh, for that spending. And that's why we, especially we conservatives, are opposing it. Now, I, I make this point every day, but I don't think I can make it enough. When we're talking about this reconciliation package, which is somewhere between $3.5 trillion and $4.2 trillion, and then you add on top of it the infrastructure package, which is about $1.5 trillion, that's not even the regular appropriations. So uh, that the regular appropriations, as it appears, has taken a back seat to all this special spending they want to do. It has, and uh, Democrats this year, frankly, they don't even bother to govern. Look, this is about their socialist agenda. They're driving that. They frankly pay no attention to anything else. And so now uh, the government is on the cusp of, uh, of uh, closing down uh, in a shutdown. And uh, my understanding is that uh, Senate and House uh, uh, today uh, are picking uh, – uh, an opportunity, creating an opportunity to keep the doors open uh, for another month or so. Uh, but still, the focus right now is on that, the reconciliation bill, the tax and spending bill, uh, and the debt ceiling. Again, you know, Democrats brought this on, and they have the responsibility to solve it. Uh, Congressman Brady, let's talk about that for just a moment, this reconciliation bill, because uh, this is kind of breaking news. Last night, uh, Joe Manchin, Democrat from West Virginia, he is the, kind of the the one moderate, well, you could say Arizona Senator Cinema uh, is also uh, in that kind of moderate category, at least have some sense when it comes to the spending. But he said that the expansion of the Medicaid that the Democrats are seeking to, par- to pass as a part of the reconciliation bill must include the Hyde Amendment. That's pretty big news. It is good. It is big news, and it's really good news because uh, for the past three years in the House, Speaker Pelosi uh, and her team have been trying to repeal the 40-year bipartisan Hyde Amendment that saved has saved 2 million lives and still is. Uh, this is their opportunity, just as they see this, just like trying to give, uh, you know, uh, citizenship uh, to those who are here illegally. Uh, they are continuing to wage you know, war on the innocent unborn. They see this as an opportunity. It was really encouraging to see Senator Manchin say it's not going to it's not going to go. And in the House uh, Ways and Means Committee and the Energy and Commerce Committee, we both offered amendments to restore high to every part of the federal government in spending. It was unanimously uh, rejected uh, in the House uh, so far. So, yeah, that is that is terrific news. So just so our our listeners know the significance of this, the Hyde Amendment, as you said, goes back uh, nearly 40 years. uh, It actually goes back to 1976, where it prohibits government dollars funding Medicaid and other programs that would cover abortion expenses uh, directly. Uh, That's been in place since 1976, bipartisan approach. As you pointed out, Nancy Pelosi and the new Democratic Party, which is hard left, uh, is all about abortion. It's in their party platform. It uh, last Friday, uh, the House voted on a a bill that uh, 
I mean, is is takes makes Roe look mild based yeah. upon what they were passing. So here's my question to you, Congressman Brady, with uh, Joe Manchin drawing that line. It appears to me the Democrats are going to have to make a choice between the expansion of their socialist policies, which are in the Re- reconciliation bill, and their um, th- their love for the abortion industry and the ability to promote abortion in the country. Yeah, I think they will. I know that this is going to throw their uh, disarray even deeper, uh, at least in the House, because right now, as you know, really the the most socialist of the House Democrats are really driving uh, the bus around here uh, and, and, uh, and with the speaker as well. And so this is another blow to their uh, terrible agenda. But, boy, they, they will not give up. Uh, it used to be, Tony, whether you were pro-abortion or, like us, pro very strongly pro-life, you know, there was agreement you didn't spend right. federal tax dollars on abortions. And it has been, frankly, that one part of common ground that exists around here. No more. It's so extreme here in the House, uh, especially on abortion, that uh, we're battling it about a dozen different ways. And the president continues to keep expanding the ability to send taxpayer money overseas to fund abortions or to encourage countries to change their abortion laws to open them up. And uh, so it is a, boy, it's a fight on every front. Congressman Brady, I know you've got to go. You've got to get uh, back to the floor. And I, I want to thank you for taking time to join us. I also want to thank you for uh, the, the the work that you have done to protect human life and to keep taxpayers from being forced into this partnership uh, with Planned Parenthood. We're grateful for it. And, uh, again, thanks for joining us today. Thank you, Tony. Take care. All right. Uh, Congressman Kevin Brady of Texas, as I mentioned, ranking member on the House Ways and Means uh, Committee. Uh, I, I didn't get a chance because he had to get uh, get back to, uh, to to work for his uh, constituents. But uh, also to, and we're going to we're going to do more on this next week, um, uh, tucked away in the. Uh, reconciliation bill, this uh, 3.5 trillion reconciliation bill that, that passed or last weekend, actually out of the House on Saturday. There is a provision, and this appears to be, now we haven't been able to verify this yet, but it appears that uh, businesses that would not enforce the mandate, the vaccine mandate that Joe Biden is pushing to enforce through OSHA, tucked away in this bill, allows OSHA to, I, I can't say double because it's not double, it, it's even more. It, 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 it takes their fines. Uh, for instance, if you are uh, fined for willfully repeating or a serious violation of the labor law that deals with hazards, death, or serious harm to your employees, you could see a tenfold increase in the fine. It could go from 70 thousand dollars to seven hundred thousand dollars this is quite significant and again tucked away in this bill uh, this reconciliation bill that was two thousand and four hundred and sixty five pages uh, so we're going to we're going to look more into uh, to that. OK, uh, before we uh, take a break for our next segment, I'm going to have uh, Joel Rosenberg is going to be joining me in studio to talk about his new book. But I want to remind you, coming up October the 6th 
through the 8th. That's next week. That's next Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. We have our first Pray, Vote, Stand Summit. Now, this takes the place of the Values Voter Summit that we did for 15 years, and we're moving it. We're moving it away from uh, the convention centers and hotels to churches. And so next week, our first Pray, Vote, Stand Summit will be held at Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Great lineup of speakers, and it's focused on on not just the policies. We're going to talk about the policies. We're going to talk about immigration. We're going to talk about education. We're going to talk about uh, the CRT. We're going to talk about the indoctrination that's happening in our classrooms. We're going to talk about international religious freedom. Uh, we're going to be talking about a host of issues. Uh, we're going to be talking about the vaccine, uh, the vaccine mandates. We're going to talk about that. But we're also going to be addressing the spiritual climate and the spiritual state of America. You won't want to miss it. Uh, you could, you still got time to register and be there in person. Uh, yeah, we're doing an in-person meeting this year. We're getting together, and we're going to pray, and we're going to talk about voting, and we're going to commit to stand. So find out more about how you can be a part of this first event. I think it's going to be a great event. Again, next Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. To find out more, go to TonyPerkins.com and follow the links over. And while you're there, be sure and uh, download the Stand Firm app. That way you can stay uh, informed of what's happening here in our nation's capital, and you will have at your fingertips everything you need to be a responsible informed and engaged citizen. All right, don't go away. Coming up next, we'll be joined by Joel Rosenberg, founder and president of the Joshua Fund and the author of a new book. That's next. Don't go away. With tech censorship on the rise, we've increasingly seen the cancellation of conservatives and Christians. At Family Research Council, we want to be proactive about making sure big tech doesn't completely silence us. We want to stay connected with you, and so we've created a tech subscription platform. That way, if we are canceled, you can still find updates on faith, family, and freedom. You can get FRC's content straight to your phone by signing up for our text alerts. Just text STAND to 67742. Again, text STAND to 67742. And FRC will send you special alerts on the issues of the day. By subscribing, you'll also be one of the first to know about our upcoming events and programs. All of this info is yours with just a simple text. We want you to always have access to the content that will help you stand for what's right and keep you connected with like-minded community. Just text STAND to 67742 and be the most informed person you know. Join us for FRC and FRC Action's inaugural Pray, Vote, Stand Summit. In light of the growing opposition our culture has expressed against biblical principles and to the truth of God's word, we've launched Pray, Vote, Stand Summit to equip and encourage Christians to respond to this opposition from a biblical worldview. We will address issues such as protecting the unborn, the importance of the nuclear family, domestic and international religious liberty, developments in our nation's education system, and more. We see the need for the restoration of a biblical foundation in our nation and the necessity to equip Christians to effectively engage the culture and understand current events through a biblical lens. 
Join us at Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia from October 6th through the 8th for the Pray, Vote, Stand Summit. Register online at prayvotestand.org slash summit or by calling 877-372-2808. More than ever before, Christians need to be grounded in the truth of God's word and be prepared to articulate them in a winsome manner. That is why Family Research Council has launched the Center for Biblical Worldview. By applying the Bible and the historical teachings of the church to a wide range of relevant issues, including voting, religious liberty, abortion, marriage, and sexuality, the experts at the center have provided resources to help Christians live by a biblical worldview. To understand why scripture must be authoritative and to equip believers to advance and defend the faith in the workplace, in schools, in their communities, and in the public square. Access free resources like the Biblical Worldview series at frc.org slash worldview. To get highlights of the latest work of the Worldview Fellows, including their latest blogs, op-eds, interviews, and publications, sign up at frc.org slash subscriptions. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm your host, Tony Perkins. So good to have you with us. The website, TonyPerkins.com. Lots of resources there for you, so make sure you uh, take advantage of that and download the Stand Firm app so that you can be engaged, be a responsible citizen, be informed, and be involved. All right, the U.S. withdrawal from Afghanistan is only the latest move in the ongoing great power chess game for control of the Middle East. There is arguably no region of the globe as important to, to our interest and probably central to U.S., I mean, to, uh, to world history. Uh, and as turbulent, I mean, it's, it's like the whole world is focused on that region of the world. Award-winning author Joel Rosenberg, who holds dual American and Israeli citizenship, has uh, led a number of delegations of American evangelicals to meet with top government leaders in Jordan, Egypt, Saudi Arabia, and the UAE. Now, he records those experiences and analyzes those in light of recent events in a new book released earlier this month, Enemies and Allies, an unforgettable journey inside the fast-moving and immensely turbulent modern Middle East. And he joins me now in studio. Joel, welcome to the program. It's great to be with you, Tony. Especially since you were a big part of those delegations and you're a key part of the book. Well, Enemies and Allies. Um, the, the trips were fascinating, but the book uh, even more so as it looks at that inside information, and you've talked about how people write about the Middle East, they write about these leaders, but they don't actually ever talk to them. We sat down and talked with them. We sat down and talked for hours. I mean, it'd be, it, you know, it'd be great if you had 15 minutes with a world leader to just try to raise one question. But these leaders invited us as evangelicals. That was unique. Uh, the Egyptians had never invited an, Egypt, an evangelical delegation ever. The Saudis had never invited ever. Uh, the UAE ever. Um, and others. And I think having that opportunity, some on the record, some off the record at the time, and then later they made sections of it available to us uh, for the book. But so rarely do Christians, people who love Jesus, have a chance to talk about 
the challenges that Christians face in a region that has been beset with war, terror, and genocide against Christians. It was a hugely oppor- uh, important opportunity, not just for religious freedom, though, but also discussion and peace, the Iran threat, threat, and so many other issues. And I try to pull that all together in, in literally the only book of its kind. So a couple of questions. One, as we were sitting down meeting with these different leaders, and, and the one that probably I was fo- most fascinated with was uh, the UAE. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had a lengthy meeting there with uh, the Crown Prince. and just, Two hours with Mohammed, Mohammed bin Zayed, MBZ. And, uh, in, in, his, in, his, in his home. Yeah, yeah in his um, palace. Did you anticipate writing a book as we were no. sitting there having those conversations? No, as you'll recall, originally all these people wanted to meet off the record, very discreet, low-key, don't tell anyone you're coming, which was fine because what was our objective? Our main objective was to build a long-term strategic friendship relationship so we could talk about the issues that Christians care about. We're happy to talk about anything they want to talk about, what's on their agenda, but we had an agenda. Yeah. And we didn't actually, we agreed that it probably wouldn't be best helped by a lot of publicity. In every case, starting with Egypt, uh, but going forward, every palace decided to make it public and it became a huge, these became huge stories in the region because this stuff had never happened. The Christians had never been invited to any of these countries to meet with the top leadership except in Jordan. Yeah, and we've had subsequent meetings, um, I know, together and then even separately with uh, President El-Sisi yeah. in Egypt, which has been fascinating to watch that unfold, being there as they unveiled uh, the uh, Coptic church yeah. there. and The they- largest church ever built in the history of the Middle East. And President Sisi said, would you come and bring a delegation to be there as I give it to the Christians of Egypt on Christmas Eve. Now, he's a devout Muslim, uh, and we've just never seen anything like this happen. He's LCC. Look, LCC's not doing everything right. right. There are human rights issues. He's overreaching in a number of areas, and I'm honest about that. And, in, and, in, and in we and we brought those things up yes. in the meetings right. as well. That's we right. talked about religious freedom That's in the UAE. Right. We talked about it in Jordan. Yes, uh, with King Hussein. We That's right. we we talked about it. Uh, in Egypt. So these Absolutely. these are not things we didn't talk no, about. No, no, no. In, in fact, that was the main thing we talked about. But still, thinking about the fact that President El-Sisi has rebuilt every single church that had been burned down, damaged, or destroyed by the Muslim Brotherhood, that he built the largest church in the, in the region to give it to the Christians, that he has um, signed a law that allows Christians to build churches. Yeah, they're now, moving, not they, exactly they are, our version yeah, of And they're freedom, moving a little slow on that, because okay. I've had some subsequent follow-up meetings uh, with their ambassador in my other capacity. At, we need uh, to keep USER. pressing these guys. It's because, not like a rosy picture. Yeah, but, but it is it is promising. Yes. And, and one of the things that... Well, and then, so the next question I want to go to, I, 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 a lot to talk <laughs> about, a lot to talk but, about but, but a little time to do it. Subsequent to that, and this was never on the radar, at least it wasn't on mine, because I've had people say subsequent to our visit, and then all of a sudden we saw in the, remi- in the, the, the waning days of the Trump administration these historic peace accords right. uh, with these countries, the very, some of them the ones we went and visited yeah. with. The key was MBZ, Mohammed bin Zayed, the crown prince, uh, de facto ruler of the United Arab Emirates. Because as you recall, when we sat with him, I said, listen, there's three things that we want you to know about evangelicals when it comes to peace and Israel. Number one, we love Israel. We love the Jews. You can't shake us on that. So we're, because it's theological to us, it's not political. Two, Jesus commands us to love our neighbors. So we do love Palestinians. We do, do love Arabs. We do love Muslims. It's not either or. 
But third, we're looking, as we pray for the peace of Jerusalem, who will be the next Arab leader to make peace, even if the Palestinian leadership is not ready. And as I described in the book, you were in the room. He said, Joel, it's going to be me. We're like, what do you mean? I'm ready to make peace. And he walked us through why he was ready and the path he was hoping to take. It was off the record at that time. We were sitting on a huge headline, but we kept our word. That's, you know, that's a key part of being a Christian. And yet two years, almost to the day when he told us that, he announced with President Trump and Prime Minister Netanyahu that he was making peace. And his courageous decision set into motion, Bahrain, right. uh, Morocco, Sudan, Kosovo also making these decisions. Absolutely fascinating. This is the only book that tells that story. Yeah, a lot of backstory to yeah. that story. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So uh, I want to continue when we come back about the UAE because I think, to me, that one, that country and that interaction shows the connection between, as Christians, our ministry, mission work, and how that influences public policy and, and the world around us. So we're going to continue that conversation. Right. My guest, Joel Rosenberg, author of a new book, Enemies and Allies. Uh, it's in bookstores all across the country. You can also order it online. Don't go away. We're going to continue our conversation with Joel Rosenberg right after this. Don't go away. Do you want to be able to stay up to date on conservative news? Are you looking for Christian resources to help you stay politically engaged? Then download Family Research Council's Stand Firm app. With all of our content available at your fingertips, you will conveniently be able to stay up to date throughout your busy day. The Stand Firm app will give you access to a variety of resources, such as our most recent episodes of Washington Watch with Tony Perkins, tweets, and other social media posts, and our latest blogs, updates, and publications. Additionally, you will have the opportunity to take action and make your voice heard by contacting your elected officials on the issues that most concern you. Visit the App Store on your smartphone or mobile device and search Stand Firm to download Family Research Council's official Stand Firm app. Have you ever tried to read the Bible daily? but struggled to get in a groove? It can be hard, especially if you don't know where to start, or how to understand and apply what you've read. Or maybe it's just that doing it alone has made it too easy to give up. Well, let me encourage you. You don't have to do this daily discipline alone. You can join Family Research Council's Stand on the Word two-year Bible reading plan. God's Word is necessary in our lives, so much so that Christ said we are to live on every word that comes from the mouth of God. He calls it our daily bread, because we need it daily to sustain us and nourish us spiritually, just like food does physically. That is why we want to read the Bible daily, and we'd love for you to join us so we can stay grounded in God's truth and grow closer to God together. Our hope is that this plan will help you be transformed by God's Word, by reading and hearing it daily. Sign up to get the daily passages and questions today by visiting frc.org Bible. That's frc.org Bible.
This is Washington Watch. I'm Tony Perkins, your host. So good to have you with us. The website, TonyPerkins.com. Talking with Joel Rosenberg, author of a new book, Enemies and Allies. And, uh, Joel, how many books now have you written? Twenty. And uh, New York Times bestselling author. Uh, this is a nonfiction book. You're known for your fiction books, right. which are thrillers, right. uh, which keep me up at night. Uh, this Good. one, this one uh, tells the inside story of some pretty fascinating stuff. It's real life. It felt like I stepped into one of my thrillers because normally I'm writing about you know spies and all kinds of operatives and who are crisscrossing the Middle East, meeting with key leaders and strategy. And we got to go where and we had some interesting. Go where a few yeah, people get to go. We had some interesting. Experiences that, um, well, made us look over our shoulders a few times. Well, once the Egyptian president uh, put our faces on the front page of the papers, yeah. they had to provide security and, and, uh, and a motorcade. And, and uh, because suddenly we were targets, uh, even though Egypt has come a long way, but, you That's know. It's a chaotic place. It's, uh, fascinating. it's come a long way, but, yeah. Well, let's, I want to go back to the UA for a minute because yeah. we, we don't have a lot of time left. But first, folks can get copies of this book where? Everywhere. Uh, yeah, Amazon, Barnes Noble, anywhere you like to buy books, including on uh, e-book and audio if people yeah. want to just listen to it while they're driving. Uh, yeah, I, I, I honestly. I kind of like the audible, yeah, the, the e-books because I, I listen to those audible books. So the UAE, this is the one, and I, we went to a lot of different places. And I've, uh, you know, I subsequently I've been to Sudan mm-hmm. with the the, uh, the new prime minister, the interim prime minister. Uh, that's an interesting situation what's happening in Sudan. Yeah. But the um, the UAE, the history there of Christian missionaries yeah. and the groundwork that was done a half a century ago. Yeah in large part, laid the foundation for this openness for religious freedom. Again, not according to U.S. standards right. by any means. But by Middle East standards, the pretty UAE big. is among the best that there is now. More than 700 churches uh, pretty freely operating. Again, not by American standards, but definitely by Middle East standards. Fascinating story. I tell it in the book because the crown prince told us, and we got permission then to put that on the record, which was, he said, do you realize that I was born in a missionary hospital? Sorry, no. Right. So it turns out he tells a story that there was uh, a couple of medical missionary uh, married from, couple from California. If I'm I think not. from California. They're named the Kennedys, and they were going through the Gulf, and they just they saw the infant mortality rate uh, because there was just so little basic health care, and they came to Sheikh Zayed, the father of the current Crown Prince and the founder of the modern uh, state, and they said, "Listen, we're missionaries, we're Christians, we're evangelicals, we're doctors." Uh, we would like to set up a clinic for free. Could you help us just to have permission to have a, a house, someplace to have a clinic? He said, well, my wife keeps having miscarriages. She's pregnant again. If you can help her bring this baby healthy to term, I'll give you my house. And that person, that baby that was born, they, they did it by God's grace. And he's the crown prince. Yeah. And that's what he told us. And his brother, uh, the foreign minister, uh, also told us that story even in more detail. That's an amazing story it's because normally you think the term missionary in a Muslim culture or a Jewish culture would be anathema. But this, there was such goodwill birth out of that birth. And then from that, if I recall and almost correctly. almost nobody knows that story. If I recall correctly, from that, the first shipment of oil that uh, they sold from the UAE Part of the profits went to build a hospital. 
that may be. I don't know. I'm actually even invited to their having the whatever it's the 60th anniversary of that hospital. I think it is this but November. I remember, and I'm going. I, I remember their com- uh, maybe it was yeah, a yeah. sideline conversation I had while we were there. But the revenues from that oh, I oil didn't remember that. Okay, maybe I didn't funded that initial hospital. Well, it's become a huge hospital, and it's and it's still run by evangelicals today. I had dinner a few months ago in Dubai with the the board, and they've invited me to come back. Look, Christians have always been thought of in the region as the problem. There's a, there's a tectonic shift of thinking going on where Jews and Christians and Israel were all considered the enemy. Right. And this is not the case currently. Iran, people see Iran as the main enemy, rightly so. But I, I cite in the book, Tony, that I had given a speech that you invited me to give four years ago, I think, at the Values Voter Summit, uh, that there was this massive shift going on, that there were people were fundamentally reassessing in the Arab world, who is my friend and who is my foe? And they used to thought Israel was the enemy, the Christians were the enemy, and that is a, a sweeping change. Now, the darkness is falling. Iran is dangerously close to nuclear weapons. I described that in the book as well. But it's interesting in the book t- because it's the only book that where you sit in the Oval Office with Trump, you sit with Pompeo, you sit with Pence, and you sit with all of these Arab and Israeli leaders at the top. Whether you agree with them or not, you're hearing directly what do they think? Who are my friends? Who are my foes? Who are my enemies? Who are the allies? This is the book that Bob Woodward should have written. Um, but anyway, amazing that God would open this door for evangelicals. And we need to keep going down this road and keep pressing for religious freedom human rights and peace and again to me it's this convergence of all aspects of being a believer the the compassion of missions of this who would have thought that this missionary couple doctors went to the uae helped give birth to now who is the crown prince who then set the stage for this historic peace accord with israel and they had never invited christians to come and meet with them until us so god was tying together a bow it was very interesting it's i mean it's a huge shift in the geopolitical world in the middle east and it goes back to a christian missionary couple love prayer and the scriptures and Isn't it amazing how they it, were standing firm it all gum, comes together yeah. as Amen. believers? Joel Rosenberg, always great to talk with you. Thanks so much for stopping great by to today. Be here, Tony. Thank you. And folks, I want to encourage you to pick up a copy, Enemies and Allies, and, and see what I had to say in the book. Uh, Joel quotes me, he says extensively. Joel, great to be with you. Folks, stick around. On the other side of the break, the constitutionality of the vaccine mandate. That's next. Don't go away. Are you a university student? Do you know a university student? Specifically, one who wants to grow as a Christian leader to influence public policy and culture? Look no further. Family Research Council has a life-changing 12 to 15 week internship program that prepares and equips students to take the next step in their professional journey. With a speaker series focusing on careers and callings, lectures from prominent conservative leaders, in weekly biblical worldview trainings, students will grow in personal and professional development. Interns will have the opportunity to work in policy, communications, event planning, and more. They will gain real-world experience working directly with our experts who will guide them in pursuing careers of influence so that they can make a difference wherever God calls them. This paid internship offers fully funded housing in the heart of downtown D.C., 
giving interns the chance to experience our nation's capital. Visit frc.org slash internships to apply. Is real biblical masculinity lost forever? In this culture of gender confusion, there are too few examples of godly manhood. So where can men, husbands, and fathers find a model of godly manhood, leadership, and strength in this culture? Try our Stand Courageous Men's Ministry. We seek to help men develop a strong biblical character, cultivate positive habits, build and rebuild relationships, and make commitments that will move men closer to God's good purpose and design. Men who will stand courageous. We invite you to join us at a Stand Courageous Men's Conference to discuss critical aspects of masculinity. These conferences are led by men who struggle with the same issues you do and will invest in unpacking our role as a defender, provider, instructor, and battle buddy so that we can have a generational influence as a chaplain inside and outside the home. Learn more and find a Stand Courageous event near you at StandCourageous.com. With tech censorship on the rise, we've increasingly seen the cancellation of conservatives and Christians. At Family Research Council, we want to be proactive about making sure big tech doesn't completely silence us. We want to stay connected with you, and so we've created a tech subscription platform. That way, if we are canceled, you can still find updates on faith, family, and freedom. You can get FRC's content straight to your phone by signing up for our text alerts. Just text STAND to 67742. Again, text STAND to 67742. And FRC will send you special alerts on the issues of the day. By subscribing, you'll also be one of the first to know about our upcoming events and programs. All of this info is yours with just a simple text. We want you to always have access to the content that will help you stand for what's right and keep you connected with like-minded community. Just text STAND to 67742 and be the most informed person you know. This is Washington Watch. I'm Tony Perkins, your host. So glad that you are with us. The website, TonyPerkins.com. President Biden sparked fierce criticism when he announced earlier this month that he would direct the regulatory agency of the U.S. Department of Labor to issue an emergency order requiring all private employers with more than 100 employees to ensure their workforces are fully vaccinated or show a negative test at least once a month. The bottom line, we're going to protect vaccinated workers from unvaccinated co-workers. We're going to reduce the spread of COVID-19 by increasing the share of the workforce that is vaccinated in businesses all across America. Now, that raises a lot of questions itself. I thought the vaccine protected people from the unvaccinated, but so I'm not sure what he means. But so far, the Labor Department's Occupational Safety and Health Administration, uh, or OSHA, has not provided details in response to the president's announcement for this nationwide mandate, which may impact over 80 million workers. But does President Biden have authority to issue such a rule? Some legal experts are saying, mm, not in the slightest. So here to talk about this is John Yu, He's professor of law at the University of California at Berkeley and a non-resident senior fellow at the American Enterprise Institute. John has worked in all three branches of government, notably as an official in the U.S. Department of Justice, and he's also clerked for Clarence Thomas. John, welcome to the program. Thanks, Tony. Thanks for having me. I read your piece. Uh, 
in fact, I think we've got a link to this at TonyPerkins.com talking about this. I'm going to jump right into it, John. Does the president have the authority to issue this nationwide mandate on these employers? I don't think so. There's three different issues here. They're all kind of complicated. One is, does the OSHA law that Congress passed give the president this authority at all? The second, then, is does Congress even have the authority to regulate every workplace in the country? And then the third issue is what rights do you and I as employees have not to be required to have an injection that we don't want in our bodies? All three of them, I think, stand against the idea that the president, that President Biden himself can require vaccination for every worker in the country. Now, some would argue, John, that this is these are um, emergency situations. I mean, we've got a pandemic. Mm -hmm. Uh, and so we have to be able to uh, address this. One is it's an emergency that's been going on for over a year and a half now. So one question is just we've got time now. We've had time to think about how to roll out the vaccine, what measures people should take. One thing we should be conscious of is our Constitution has created a system of federalism where the federal government isn't responsible for everything. They don't make every decision. Public health and safety are still primarily in the hands of states. These are matters for governors, mayors, county executives. It's really not, by the original founder's design, a matter for the federal government. The second thing is, yes, it's, there's an emergency, but the emergency power that Biden's claiming is given to him under OSHA requires that there be a grave danger to workers in the workplace. And you just mentioned it when you're saying, does the vaccine protect the vaccinated or the unvaccinated? When you mention that, the point is, this is not really a workplace issue. This is an issue that happens to occur in the workplace because it happens throughout society. So let me give you some other examples. If Biden is correct that he can require vaccination because it poses a grave threat to workers, then can he also say, we're going to give AIDS tests to everybody mm -hmm. because AIDS is a threat to people and it might be a threat to workers too? Could he th say, oh, Gun violence is not just a threat in the society, but in the workplace. So I'm going to ban guns in all workplaces in the country. This, this, the way he's interpreting this grave danger in the workplace threat means that he could basically regulate whatever he feels like in the workplace. And I don't think that's what Congress even thought of when it created this OSHA authority. So the courts would look at this, and I'm sure they will, because as soon as these rules come out, I think the, the lawyers are going to be standing uh, at the door of the court. They would say, all right, is this truly a workplace issue or are you using the workplace to get at the issue in bigger society, which is not the authority that OSHA has? Is that correct? Yes, exactly. OSHA is a law. We think about it when it's passed and as it's been implemented uh, since then. It's really a law that's about making sure that there aren't unsecured equipment right. around. You know, workplaces where people, you know, workers are really getting injured by the way employers operate. And, you know, making, having certain uniform standards, it's not really about what you saw President Biden just submit, what his staff has admitted. It's using a workplace law as a pretext right. to get your way to having some national regulation, which the Constitution leaves to the states and to cities and counties and our local communities. Uh, John, you, the OSHA uh, has been around 
about 50 years, actually, going back, I think, 1971, if I'm not mistaken. This is not without precedent. These powers have been used before uh, in, in, in similar, I mean, not the same setting, but similar. Uh, so what, what have the courts done previously? Tony, I hope you're not going to law school because you're doing pretty well. <laughs> you know a lot more. I'm going to have to give you an A. <laughs> and I don't like I to give those out. <laughs> no, that's, that's a really good point. There is this provision in OSHA for emergencies. It has been used. The important thing is the courts have struck most of them down. So uh, I believe this is of the six cases of this emergency authority that have been brought to the courts. The courts have rejected five of them. It may also give you a sign the courts are very skeptical when presidents claim this kind of emergency authority. They really want to see there's an emergency and that it really has to do with workplaces. I don't think the Biden administration is going to get through court on this one. So let's talk a little bit about the... You know, I've been in public policy. I've been in office. I've passed laws, and I, and I, especially today, what I see is a lack of understanding or even anticipating the unintended consequences yeah. of passing laws like this or, or taking yeah. actions. This isn't a law. This is an action being taken by the by the president. So, all right, an employer. 100 employees or more. They're forced by the government to require their people to be mandated. Now. I would. I'm not a practicing lawyer. Uh, I've written a lot of laws, but I don't practice law. So I would Probably say, the best of all yeah. worlds. So I would say. I, in fact, I have said this. Yeah. I've told people, don't you sign anything if you take the vaccine. Don't sign away your rights. Uh, you do not want to indemnify your your employer or anyone else. So these employers are putting themselves in a vulnerable situation, or I should say, being put into a vulnerable situation because. There are side effects in some cases, and I'm not anti-vaccine. I want to say this so YouTube doesn't take this down or others. <laughs> I'm not anti-vaccine. I've encouraged people that are in high-risk categories to talk with their medical uh, provider, their doctor, and you got to weigh, and that's what we do. That's an individual choice. You weigh the risk here versus here, and if you're in a high-risk category, I would encourage you to get the vaccine. Now, that said... There are recorded incidents of side effects from this vaccine. Mm -hmm. Those employers could be liable to lawsuits if they force someone against their will to get this. So that is one thing that's, again, not addressed by President Biden, not addressed in these regulations they're working on, apparently. Maybe not even the powers of the federal government, but you're quite right. If you get the vaccine and you're required, you didn't want to, you're required to by the employer. And is that forced consent? No, I don't think you're consenting at all. I mean, if you, I mean, you either get the shot or you or lose you, your job. You lose your job. So someone's going to say, "I was forced to do it," and if you are forced to do it as a condition of your employment, and you do suffer these negative effects, yeah, you could sue the employer. In fact, you could say, "Look, society forced you to do it. So if something bad happened to you, society should compensate you." So either you should, the employer should pay. The employer is going to turn around and say, "The federal government made mm -hmm. us do it, or we had to do it to comply with regulations." But that shouldn't be an excuse of complete immunity, right? What if, the, what if Biden ordered all the employers to do something clearly illegal? So now I, know, now I sound like a trial lawyer, but, <laughs> but, but actually I think trial lawyers play an important role yeah. in our society yeah. in keeping people honest. Yeah, and in this case, I would line up with the trial lawyers. Yeah, no, this is why we have a court system and why we have litigation. We don't, we're not in like Europe where the, you, the government just issues some edict that compromises individual freedoms and we just accept it. And we have a system of laws and the constitutional rights eventually 
where, yeah, it is our trial lawyer friends who are the ones who are out there. They have an incentive to challenge the government. Sometimes we don't like it. Sometimes yeah. we do like yeah. it. Yeah. I think in this one of these cases, we want the trial lawyers to challenge this kind of mandate. Now, another unintended consequence I see here is, uh, and I've not seen, I could be missing something, but I've talked to a number of members on the Hill and I've looked at it. Uh, and, and of course, the guidance hadn't come out yet. But if someone has a choice, you get vaccinated or you're terminated. If you're terminated from a position, uh, you are eligible in many cases for unemployment. Yeah, I would think you, I, I'm not just, I mean, I think you have presumptively would get unemployment. So the Unintended consequence of this would be to increase disruption in the economy, disruption in our workplaces. Uh, you know, we've seen still inflation arising because we have, can't fill all the jobs there are out there. We're having supply chain problems. And so if you're going to start firing numbers of people, it's going to make the economic problems worse. Also, you might have a case to say, look, I was fired because my employer imposed conditions on me that discriminate against me because of my medical condition. Right? There are going to be all kinds of, I think, things that co employers are going to have to figure out, which are going to be very complicated. So, for example, suppose you already had COVID, right. and some doctors are saying, well, you don't need the vaccine, right. or even your side effects might be much worse right. if you've already had COVID. Well, apparently there's no exception for that in these regulations. Right. I think an employee could say, I'm not going to take this, and you're forcing me to make my medical condition worse right. as a condition of employment. That actually gives you a right under federal law to sue the employer, too. Well, let me ask you about that aspect with the courts. When the court takes up challenges mm -hmm. to this mandate, mm -hmm. natural immunity is not being considered in this. Right. Uh, health consequences are not being considered in this, as, as we can tell at this point. Um, in fact, the president and even even the, the uh, Dr. Fauci, when asked about this just two weeks ago about natural immunity, he said, oh, we need to sit down and talk about that. I mean, uh, almost two years into this, and they haven't thought about uh, natural immunity. I would think the courts would take this into consideration that there are other ways to accomplish the goal of the president in terms of building immunity in society that they're not following the science. Yeah, I think that's a good point, Tony, because that goes to the second question I asked about, which is, does the federal government even have the power under OSHA or any other law really to impose a mandate on the whole country for vaccination rather than the way traditionally Americans make decisions about most social issues, which is local communities, cities, and states. And so courts will question the government's rationale for doing these things. If it looks like it's pulling pieces from here and there, from laws that are unrelated to public health and then use those to sort of stitch together a national mandate. Then exactly as you say, Tony, the courts will say, what's the government really up to? What's its real motivation? And it'll start to, right, that will bring into doubt the authorities that the government is relying on. And, of course, during the Trump administration where we saw a number of what I would describe as constitutionalist, those who adhere to the, uh, the, to the Constitution have been placed onto the courts. Mm -hmm. This could make it difficult for the Biden mandate. Oh, yes. If, if you were to say one of President Trump's great achievements was his judicial appointments, I know that's obviously something you and your, uh, the FRC have cared a lot about. And I remember working on those back even when I was on the Hill with Senator Hatch yeah, Senator on those issues. Was, he yeah. was on the judiciary. He was a real hero. Yeah, yeah, a hero so he about a these. And In fact, he was the one that, uh, didn't he shepherd Clarence Thomas through? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. And he was the one who tried to get Bork, Judge Bork, through yeah. and unfortunately failed. Um, I think that uh, th if anything might unify 
all of those judges that President Trump appointed. It is a belief in a limited federal government and a restored uh, role for states and communities. And so uh, they will be people, those judges will be people who will be quite skeptical about these unprecedented claims of national federal power to require everyone in the country to get an injection. So, John, um, I'm going to get you to put on your uh, your your hat here to kind of predict the future. Somewhat. <laughs> no. <laughs> what circuit do you think the uh, the challenge is going to come from? So if I were the trial lawyers, I would bring it in Texas, in the Fifth, <laughs> in the circuit. fifth circuit, because yeah. that court has the majority of conservative and is the most well-known conservative circuit court. For those of you that includes Texas and includes Louisiana, you know, includes so uh, Mississippi. So that's that's the court where I would bring the case. But I think it will go quickly to the Supreme Court. Uh, because, It'll have to yeah. uh, because of the time frame in which the implementation of this mandate. I, so I assume the process will be the. Rules are issued. Um, someone immediately goes to get a stay mm-hmm. on the implementation of the rules pending a, a hearing. They'll want to fast track that, get yes. that to the Supreme Court, and get a final decision as quickly as possible. Yeah, and that there are procedures to be able to do that when there's something as immediate, immediate impact. There, so, for example, there were cases involving. Um, churches that wanted to challenge the shut the lockdown mandates in California and New York, they were able to get their cases much faster to the Supreme Court than would be normal. So I think I would expect that lower courts would do something like that here. Uh, very quickly, we're almost out of time, but if, if this were allowed to stand, then the federal government would be able to do almost anything, would they not? It worries me a great deal because, of, of course, work is important to everybody's lives, as it should be. And so if the government were to use work as a way to social engineer the country, that's essentially what the government could do in the future. So you could say, well, why doesn't the government just have mandatory drug testing for yeah. every employee in the country, for you know, any business larger than 80 employees? Why doesn't the government start requiring people to do other things in the workplace that it favors? And yeah. that, I think that should worry liberals and conservatives. Yeah, yeah. Once, you, uh, once you cross through that threshold, there's uh, really no shutting the door. John, you great to talk with you. Thanks so much for stopping by today. My pleasure, Tony. Thanks for having me. And uh, we're going to watch this very closely, and I'm sure we're going to want to talk with you again about this. Oh, I'd love to. Love right. to. And, folks, I want to thank you for joining us as well. I want to encourage you to check out the website, TonyPerkins.com. And remember, coming up next week, October 6th through the 8th, the first Pray, Vote, Stand Summit, Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Find out how you can join us. Go to TonyPerkins.com. Until next time, I leave you with the encouraging words of the Apostle Paul found in Ephesians 6, where he says, when you've done everything you can do, when you've prayed, when you've prepared, and when you've taken your stand, by all means, keep standing. Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener-supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family, and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at 1-866-372-7234. That's 1-866-372-7234.